0: Hey, this is Aaron with Reaching for Fi, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hey, this is
2: Peter with Passive Income MD, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Jerry, and you're listening to
3: the What's Up Next podcast.
1: Hello, this is Penny from She Picks Up Pennies, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence.
4: Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, the question we have today is, Must you have high income to
5: become financially independent? On today's episode, we have four special guests. I'd like for each of you to go around and do a quick introduction.
3: My name is Jerry, and I've been blogging at Peerless Money Mentor for the past 11 months. There, I talk about my journey from five broke to financially woke, and I encourage people to build wealth and grow their legacy. Hi, my name is Peter. I blog at
2: Passive Income MD, and I've been doing that for the last two years. And I speak mostly to physicians about financial freedom through passive income and multiple streams as well. Thanks for having
0: me. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. So I'm Erin. I blog over at Reaching for Fi. I've been doing this for a year and a half now. And mostly I am writing about my story as somebody who works at a nonprofit, does not make a high income, and lives in an expensive city and how
1: I am trying to do this Fi thing. Hi, this is Penny from She Picks Up Pennies. Thanks so much for having me. I'm like the old lady of the show. been blogging for over three years, and I am just trying to chronicle my journey to not only spend more purposefully, uh, but live more purposefully, and doing it on two teacher salaries. So my husband and I are both teachers in the Midwest, and now we had our first kiddo. So trying to pile that story in as well.
4: So we're gonna start off today with a little bit of an uncomfortable question. Uh, Jerry, I wanna start with you, and I wanna run through the group here and my question is this, what is the highest amount you've made in any given year in the last 10 years? The highest amount I've made in a given year is $45,000. Okay, how about you, Erin?
0: 45000 as well.
4: Okay, Penny?
1: Oh, this is this is my big year. And I mean that, like as a teacher, I'm making bank now. I'm going to make over <laughs> $70,000 this year.
5: All right. Is that just for you or you and your, in your,
1: no, self? that's just for me. I've doubled my income. This, it took 11 years, but yeah. Yep. Awesome.
4: All right. And Peter, the most I've ever made in years, uh, $550,000. Right. So this is a good transition because Peter, sometimes I wonder when people look at passive income MD, they may accuse you of being inauthentic. They say, well, of course you're financially independent. You're a doctor. Um, what do you say to people when they come to your site and heckle you about your high income and financial independence?
2: Well, I think it depends a lot on on where you live. I mean, I think that makes a big difference. Um, I live on the West Coast. I live in Los Angeles, in the heart of Los Angeles, and uh, where the housing costs are kind of high. I don't know if you've seen a recent post by Financial Samurai, and he puts a number. He lives in San Francisco, and he put a recent number at $5 million, being the financial independence number. And in L.A., it's actually can be kind of the same depending on where you live. Yes, the income may be high, but again, we also have high levels of debt, uh, which is kind of like carrying around a mortgage or second mortgage as well. Um, So in some ways, depending on where you're at, yes, it can be a little easier. Some places where you're trying to live and also kind of the lifestyle that you kind of live, it can be a little bit more difficult.
4: Yeah, I'd like to throw it over to Aaron. You know, so Peter mentions a high cost of living area. And mentions, you know, he talks about, well, you gotta have a high income to survive in a place like LA. You are in Washington, D.C., and a big part of what you blog about is being in a high income area, but not having a high wage. However, do you make it work?
0: Well, I pay half of my paycheck in rent. uh, So there's that right there. So I have gotten a second job on the weekends in the last, actually, it's been a year now, in the last year to kind of, help boost my income, but um, I'm still making, you know, $45,000 a year. Um, So how I make that work is I'm actually, well, so I live in an apartment with a roommate. I don't live on my own. I can't afford to live on my own, even though I would love to. I actually pay a bit more in rent than I technically have to because I live in DC in the center of the city. I could move out to the suburbs and pay slightly less per month, but I also have made this conscious uh, choice to live here in a slightly more expensive apartment um, so that I can save on costs elsewhere. I walk to work. I walk to two metro stations. I walk to the grocery store. I walk to my gym. um, So I don't have a ton of transportation costs. Just having that walking lifestyle allows me to save money in other places, which helps with paying my rent.
4: Now you mentioned taking on extra work, but you also mentioned things like cutting down on transportation costs If you live in a high cost of living area, which lever is more important? Is the income lever important or is the frugality and savings level more important?
0: Okay. So it's interesting you ask me that because I think when I first started blogging, I would have said frugality and cutting your costs, obviously, because that's what I want to do. It was more of a like, I'm putting my head in the sand and kind of I don't want to get a second job, so let's cut costs first. But I have accepted the fact that if I want to save more money, I need to make more money. Yeah, it's it's the income thing. There's only so far you can out-frugal yourself. I mean, so I pay half my paycheck in rent, and I really can't cut that down anymore, and so there's only half of my paycheck left to save, but I have to do things like eat and pay for internet so I can blog. <laughs> so I have to have more income.
4: Yeah. So- That makes me think a lot about Jerry, actually, because Jerry wrote a post called Broke Fi Broke to Financially Woke, which I think is one of the posts that people really know him for. It really got around. I think it was on Rockstar Finance. And I was taken by the fact, Jerry, that in that post, you talk a lot about getting in debt. You talk a lot about credit cards. You talk a lot about your financial awakening. What you don't talk a huge amount about is income. So I would kind of throw the same question over to you based on that post. Is income important?
3: Yes, I think income is very important in that post. I didn't mention the fact, but at the time I was making only like $25,000. So at the time I made a decision to buy a $22,000 car, which is like the ratio. So far, it was like a crazy decision because like that's like basically all my income. And so that's that's what got me into broke fire I broke and additionally with like co signing for the my ex fiance's car loan and like credit card debt is just like overwhelming, especially on that uh, level of income. It's hard to pay back those uh those loans on that level of
4: income. So what have you done to try to increase your income?
3: Well, I, I, at the time I, I was working, I switched jobs, and then I started doing some side hustles. So last year I, I started doing Uber on the side, and I started doing some uh, things that uh, Kevin from Financial Panther mentioned on his blog. Things like we go look where you go out and like take pictures of uh for insurance verification purposes, like say a car is damaged, and you go and like take a picture of that. And so I, then I I did like the the swag bucks. I was doing the surveys for a while. So right now I've just been like all over the place, like doing freelance work. And I've just been like kind of switching up like, and right now, right now, like since I paid off my car and stuff, I'm kind of taking a break, but I'm looking into going doing more freelance work to uh, increase my income and focusing on like building my talent stack so I could have more, uh, have better opportunities in the future.
4: When you talk about your talent stack, I automatically think about Penny. And one of the reasons why is Penny, you just wrote a post about doubling your income as a teacher. And one of the ways you've done that is you've progressively built your talent stack. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about how you did that. But there's an overall question that after reading this post really came to mind. You know, one part of me was really excited because I'm seeing you increase your income. I'm seeing you double your income. On the other hand, it seems like being a teacher is always going to limit your income on some level. Like you could leave being a teacher, go do something else and get over six figures or even do that multiple times. Was there ever a point where you and your husband looked at each other and said, one of us has to not be a teacher so we can kind of go to that next level?
1: Yeah, we have that conversation all the time. I was just at a meeting a a couple days ago with a bunch of... Educational technology vendors who are coming in to get a bid from our school district and the amount of money that was flowing through the room um, I think some of the people were in suits that cost more than a lot of the teachers cars in the parking lot So we do um, we we joke about that uh, About how now we both probably could launch into that world if we wanted to but I think right now There are a lot of non-monetary things that teaching provides and especially as like a young family, my time is, you know, I can't, I can't put a number on it, but I'm making that trade off right now. I don't know if I'll always make that trade off though.
5: For each of the panelists here, how would you recommend to the people that you talk to through your channel on deciding that making that decision versus you know we always hear about the income versus the the savings, and you can't outfrugal it or you or it's not worth earning more, and it's all about the gap, and we all got to have to personally make that choice. What is each of you, each of your take on that question of
2: where do you go on the income versus savings question peter I think the gap is is the key it's it's a function of both income and expenses and kind of where you want to land and what your lifestyle wants to, you know, you want when you get to FI. Personally, I, I like living where I live. <laughs> I like the neighborhood. Great for my family. I've, I've made that choice that whatever, whatever state that we reach in terms of FI, I want it to be while living here and not moving, having to move somewhere else. So we've made that decision. And the only way to kind of be able to do that, since those expenses are going to be up there with housing costs and that sort of thing, is is to make more. And so that's why I have, in addition to my physician income, you know, I've cut back a little bit so I can pursue some of these other side hustles. So I have focused on, you know, whether that's through real estate, uh, through the blog, through some other businesses, it, it, my, my focus has, and efforts have been on increasing that income aspect.
5: And when you talk about it on your blog a lot, uh, you, you talk about real estate a lot. You talk about passive income a lot. It's called Passive Income MD. Uh-huh. What is your overall message to, uh, to your audience? Is it to, that in order to achieve FI with a high income that you should be trying to replace your, your income with, with passive I- investments?
2: Uh, I think that's a big part of it because I think a big part of fi- uh, you know, financial independence is time. And having time, and so I think with a physician income or being a physician, you're really tied to your time. That time, uh, without plenty of time, you're not going to make money, and without that, you're not going to be able to reach where you want to reach. So, I I spend a lot of time talking to people about figuring out the best use of your time. And unfortunately, um, being a physician and and working, you know, eighty hours a week, I don't think it's sustainable. Sure, You you can make a high income. That income that I mentioned before. It's working on you know almost 80 hours a week. So right. let's, let's remember, it's not a 40-hour job that, that put me there. It's about working double the amount of hours. I, I was forced to, and I had to. I actually really had no choice. I would rather work less and made less. And luckily, that is the choice I have now. And so that that's where I've gone. So my income is nowhere near that right now in terms of the medicine.
5: Uh, hmm.
2: But with some of the other side hustles and, and in real estate and this kind of thing, it helps supplement that.
5: Jerry, where, where do you stand on this... Um, what you try and advise to others or you try and share with others who are listening to you?
3: I think you should focus on both sides of the equation because I started off only focusing on the uh, frugality side. I was like going through and I was cutting everything from my life and it got to a point where like, I'm cutting out all the fun stuff from my life. So I actually I actually do want to have fun. So like in order to afford the stuff, like the things that I want to do, like I want to take vacations and I want to go, uh, go to some basketball games And in order to afford those things, like the point where I just have to, I have to increase my income if I want to have some kind of fun in my life. I don't want to cut everything out. I'm a big fan of like enjoying your life while you're on the path to fire.
5: And do you think that that you have to have a high income in order to achieve financial independence?
3: No, I think that's a a limiting belief. I was just listening to the the Fire and Ice podcast earlier. And uh, I had Jillian from Montana Money Adventures and she was talking about how Her and her husband, they were never high income earners, but they achieved five. Penny, you got any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot of (laughs) thoughts. Um, I think in terms of what I would advise people, there's always the disclaimer, like I'm not an expert. I'm like the opposite. But I think you do what you can with the situation that you're in. My husband and I chose to live... We're in one of the most expensive suburbs outside of Chicago. We could, you know, when people hear you're from the Midwest, they think, oh, you know, you're paying pennies. Um, But we, you know, we live here. I think sentiments that were shared earlier, really good schools, good place to raise a family. But more than that our salaries are tied to property taxes. So that's part of how I know for people who aren't, it's different in every state. But, you know, so that's part of why we're willing to pay more to be paid a little bit more. But for a long time, you know, for the better part of a decade, we focused on living as frugally as we could, because there was no way for us to, I mean, my husband makes, uh, significantly less than I do just because of the district that he works in. Mm. But I had to, I did almost a hundred credit hours uh, post-grad, you know, um, to double my income. So I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to focus on income, but you know, that cost me almost $40,000 that I was trying to cash flow. And so I think you just, you know, you do what you can based on the situation that you're in. So if cutting costs is where you'll see immediate returns do that, But if you're in a position where you can gun for a quarterly bonus or a merit-based um, pay increase, you know, I think I think it's it's about money, but it's about time. You know, how quickly can you see a return from either cutting back or increasing your income?
5: Erin, you any thoughts?
1: A lot. Um, So I'm in the position
0: I'm in now, mostly because I don't know what I want to do when I grow up or be. And when I found financial independence, it was like, uh, oh my gosh, uh, that would give me the time and space to figure out what I want to do and be uh, without having to go into the office all the time. Um, So I've just, you know, ended up at a nonprofit and I don't, have a clear path of like, well, I should go into this high paying career. So really what I'm thinking about for financial independence, because like what Jerry said, like I don't want to cut out all vacations and all fun spending. I do also believe that it's very important to enjoy whatever stage of life you're at. Like, I don't want to, we talk about how we don't want to waste our lives in an office um, forever and then, you know, wait until we retire to enjoy our lives. I also think the same goes for waiting until you're financially independent. That doesn't make any sense. So I'm looking at, I think I've decided for myself, um, if I don't know what I want to do, maybe that means in order to grow my income and get to financial independence faster, I have to do something, um, I guess, non-traditional, like figure out some freelancing something or location independent online work, um, so that I could maybe move to a lower cost of living area or do something like travel around while I work. Um, I'm pretty sure that having a straight nine to five job, um, is not going to be the route I go. Mostly because I also don't see myself being able to jump into any job that'll suddenly make me six figures.
4: So, Aaron, I have the answer and solution to all your problems. We're going to have a little bit of fun here, okay? So, Perfect. I, am, I am going to start a company called I Am the Worst Boss LLC, and I am going to offer you a job 40 hours a week, and I'm going to pay you $500,000 a year, but you have to deal with me <laughs> for 40 hours a week, and I'm going to make your life hell. Will you take that job? <laughs>
0: Probably not, no, also I work thirty five hours a week right now, so no, I'm not going to <laughs> willingly pick up another five hours a week. I mean if i'm already not I'm not not happy at work, and my boss is great. I like the people I work with, um, but I'm not going to willingly jump into spending more of my life in a worse situation for money.
4: What if I would push it up to a million dollars?: No. All right. For uh, me,
0: because like my net worth is so low or relatively low at this point, and because I don't pull in six figures, I pull in mid-five figures, <laughs> the difference between 500000 and a million is essentially the same. All
4: right. I, you know, I want to throw this over to, to Passive Income MD, Peter. I want to give you a similar situation. I own a company called The Best Boss in the World, LLC, and I want to offer you a job wherever you want to live. And this job will fulfill all your life's purpose. You will love every second of it. It will be like complete bliss. You will feel completely fulfilled, but I'm only going to pay you $75,000 a year. Would you do it? <laughs> <laughs> my job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we already know Penny's answer, so what's King uh, <laughs>
2: Penny's answer? Is it in comparison? Do I have to make that choice versus what I have right now? That's the question. Yes. Um, Can I
0: interject? I'll take this. If you don't want this <laughs> yeah. job, I'll take it.
2: <laughs> well, I, I'm in a really good situation. I'll be honest with you. I actually love what I do. Um, I chose you know, medicine as a career because it's something that I was passionate about and something that was very fulfilling. Uh, what comes along with it, unfortunately, fortunately a lot is some of these financial obligations and all the stress that goes beyond it. And what I found, I think is the secret to fulfillment actually in this job is to work less to a point where you actually feel like it's it's very sustainable. And if you have other things coming in and you don't have that financial pressure, then I, I feel like I could do this forever. And so I'm I pretty much found, I feel like I found that point and I've cut down significantly because of my other uh, sources of income. And so honestly, like right now where I'm at, I'm able to still make more than what you're offering me. <laughs> and I feel like honestly, I'm in a fulfilled position right now. I'm really happy where I'm at in terms of uh, feeling like I'm getting
4: a lot of enjoyment out of my job. Is there ever a number you'll get to of net worth where you'll step away from medicine? I don't think so. I, I think this is something that is, is
2: it's not just something I do, It's it's pretty much part of who I am at this point. And so I do feel at this point that uh, it's something I would continue to, to do. Um, I, honestly, it's just, I enjoy it.
4: Jerry, well, I, I think- want to go back to the same question that I gave, gave Aaron. If I were to hire you, but I was the most horrible boss in the world, and those were 40 excruciating hours a week, would you take the job for $500,000 a year?
3: Uh yes, I think I have to like suck it up and like do the work and <laughs> endure the the, the, the torture. <laughs>
4: so, so you, would, price, you would sacrifice, we? huh? Yeah, I would yeah. just
3: sacrifice.
0: <laughs> For how long, though? For like a year, five Weird. years, For a year. Weird. I could
3: put that into like invest that in the
4: market and like.
0: <laughs> you make a good point, but I still don't think I would take yeah. it. <laughs>
4: That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
5: Well, and it's interesting because those are kind of extreme examples, but in reality, most of our decisions are made at the margin, they're made at the edge. And that's what we're all doing is we're making these little decisions based on our fulfillment and how much money we, we think we can earn and how much time we want to have with our family. And do we actually enjoy what we're doing? And we don't always feel like we have control of that. And I uh, often think that we have a lot more control of it than we, I think first suggest and our first think, and I have a standing theory that in the modern day, we are in a, a place now where we can design our lifestyle more so by creating a lifestyle that is based on what we want to do and then earn our income versus the other way around. What, what are y'all's thoughts on that? A, a, am I all wet or do, is there some merit to that?
1: No, I, I think you're on to something. I think that, you know, as someone who's in a, I guess a traditional job and, you know, I haven't jobbed hop. I haven't job hopped at all. I'm not a good millennial in that sense (laughs) or really in any sense. (laughs) Uh, I think, I think flexibility and thinking is key. And I think even whether you're pursuing fire or FI or not, um, Just because somebody before you is on that path doesn't mean you have to take that path. Like you can work backwards, you can come at it from different angles. You know, it's been fun since I started blogging. I remember one of the first posts I wrote was a series about what you wanted to do for your next life. And I was like, oh, the same thing I'm doing now. And I think that that mentality is coming through where people are realizing, you know, I can create the life I love now and I can use that to get to FI and I can keep doing what I love. Like I don't just have to grind it out and be miserable for 5, 10, or 15 years. I have so many options available to me. Like we can all work jobs that didn't exist five years ago, that didn't exist two years ago. So I think that flexibility of thought is really key.
4: Why do you think that flexibility of thought is so common in our group but wasn't common in the previous generation, I mean, you look at baby boomers, especially. this idea that you could design your work around your life didn't exist. Uh, the idea that you would go grind it out was actually just accepted. That's what everybody did. What do you think has changed?
1: I think the way we can earn money has changed, but also I think I think we have to be really careful to not totally glamorize what our options as well um you know, I think this is part of what's kept me in a traditional role, even though I do a lot of freelancing on the side is, you know, boomers really like their benefit package. And, and I think we can kind of scoff at that and say like, oh, when you 10x your income, like, who cares that you're not getting a pension. But honestly, as someone who is maybe going to look at a pension, if my state doesn't go bankrupt, like, pensions are sweet. You know, there's something to be said about the security that came with that lifestyle. So I think, you know, we have a lot of options in terms of what the world looks like today, but you know, I, I always hesitant to go like, rah, rah, the gig economy is the best. Well, is it? I don't know. It has
4: its dark side, doesn't it? Yeah. Jerry, I want to bring this to you a little bit. We haven't talked a lot about what you do and We all talk about the gig economy and side hustles and all the extra things we do. Is it about your primary employment anymore? Or is it about the things you do on the side to make extra money?
3: I actually like love my primary employment. Like uh, it's a a job, like I work for the public sector, I work in a a library. So I actually love what I do.
0: Yay, Uh, libraries. uh, Yeah.
3: (laughs) So I actually love it and I have a pension. And so that's kind of, like, hard to, like, I'm, I'm having trouble, trouble. I, like, actually want to, like, leave so I can make more money. But I actually love what I do because then not have that pension on the side. of something I've been thinking about, really. Like, do I want to go move to the private sector or I stay at the library? But I can make more. I think I can make more and, uh, if I switch to another job, which I'm actually, like, looking into. I think that, that'll be – that if, if I can, like, um, boost my – job of my main income, then I wouldn't have to worry about like doing as much side hustles because it became a point where I was doing, I was working a full-time job and I had all these side hustles and I'm working like 80 hours a week and like my time, my time is the most important thing because you can't get your time back. Uh,
4: Aaron, have you found the same kind of dark side to side hustles? Um, You seem pretty protective of of your time.
0: I am... So really the only side hustle I have is a part-time job where I go in and I work. I physically have to be there. It's not like a freelancing internet type thing. And I think I have been reluctant to explore side hustles more because, A, I'm not really sure how I would go about breaking into them, but also, yeah, I'm protective of my time and I... I don't make a ton, but there is something to be said for my steady paycheck, and I think I am reluctant to let go of that and transition into more of a full-time gig economy type something. I like my health insurance, that's for sure. I also like my employer's match for my 401k. So,
4: Passive, you and I are both big on passive income streams, right? We both do side hustles, whether it be real estate or other, other side hustles in what we do. When you hear people like Aaron kind of talking about, you know, liking their major gig, and then you look at you and I who have this big major gig, and yet we still seem to get involved in all these side hustles, why do you do it? There's a lot of reasons why. Number one, actually, well, I'm just curious. I mean, it's
2: it's something that's always been a part of me. I think I've always wanted to explore different aspects of, of of uh, of my brain, I think. I think it's it's totally different when you're trying to do something in, out of business. When you're writing, when you're doing all these little, it, it really stretches you in different ways. And so, actually, um, we just talked about this recently, where you know a lot of they see that a lot of CEOs actually, I mean, they might not be side hustles, but they find themselves doing a lot of a lot of different hobbies. And it's like, why is that? I mean, there's so many reasons why. I think number one, it's it's really uh, refreshing to do something different than what you do, and especially when it's super stressful right? I mean, I think our jobs in a lot of ways, particularly, I mean, I deal with a lot of life and death. So it's really stressful to think about doing that all the time. It's nice to do something that's not, you know, that's intellectually stimulating, that's not, <laughs> has that same level of stress. I think also it, it gives me a chance with a lot of these side hustles to leverage my time. Again, I mentioned that before, but as a physician, I get paid for my time. So I, I'm I'm basically a glorified hourly worker, which is fine. I just get paid a, a really good wage. At the same time, some of these side hustles offer kind of a, a way out of that a little bit. And when it comes to things that are more passive, right, like real estate or that sort of thing. So if it allows me to kind of leverage my time a little bit more and allows me to stay home on the weekends, give up some night shifts and these kind of things to spend time with my family and do these kind of things, and that potential uh, is, is motivating enough for me to do it.
4: One of the interesting things, and I think I connect with you on this, everyone has hobbies. Like Aaron, I read your blog and I see you're hiking. I mean, we're all doing stuff. For some reason, some of us, maybe physicians in general, we tend to monetize the stuff we do. Where are not everyone necessarily does that. I think I do lots of stuff on the side. I do lots of stuff for fun, but I tend to make them into businesses. I don't know if that's good or bad. It just is kind of what it is. Does that have any resonance with you, Erin?
0: This thought just came to me, so it's not fleshed out. It's, I'm still working through it. Um, but I wonder, honestly, if there's a, like, a level of freedom you have once you have enough money that you can afford to take a chance on something. And if you monetize it and it doesn't work out, that's fine. Whereas for me, it's like, I can't quit my job because I need it. Um, I would love to get into real estate, but I can't afford that at the moment. I think, like for me, it's a lot more important if I monetize something that I get it right, as opposed to it being just kind of like, "Oh, we'll see if this works out." Yeah, I think I think that's where that thought is right now.
4: Yeah. Aaron, when you said that, I saw Penny starting to nod her head yes. So, is that a truism? Do you need a high income? to then make a higher income? Does money beget more money?
1: Uh, absolutely, it does. Um, I think uh, none of us, I don't think, we're not at this level. But I think if you scale back, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the families that I work with, they don't have hobbies, you know, they work two and three jobs, and they're still free and reduced lunch kiddos. Um, so, so I think You know, as I've grown my income and I realize, like, I have more opportunities. There's more wiggle room, even though I eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day. And and you know, I really do live this frugal lifestyle. Like, I have a safety net, and I I have probably more of a safety net than I am even willing to acknowledge. And I think because of that, I can take more risks. Even if I don't monetize a hobby, I can have expensive hobbies. I. I I don't think I do <laughs> right Right now, but I mean, it, just listening to this conversation play out, I realize my husband and I are headed to a spot where we really have a lot of avenues that, that will open up to us that maybe I'd never even thought about before.
4: You know, you brought up safety net. I'm gonna use that to transition a little bit um, because the one thing we haven't talked a lot about yet is family. So I wanna throw this back to Peerless. Um, do you ever worry that you are going to figure it out? You're going to get a financial plan. You're going to get your path to five set and clear, and then you're going to get married and have kids and it's going to blow your budget. Yeah, that's,
3: that's one of the things I, um, I've been thinking of a lot about lately, especially since my, my friends, my closest friends, three pals, they've all gotten married and they're like, my mom's looking at me like you're next. <laughs> So that's something I've been thinking about lately. Like I've been putting my plan together, but will my uh, spouse? well how would I get her on board with these plans? Like you see a lot of posts around in blogosphere. Like how do you get your wife on board? And like how do I do this? Like uh, I'm like I don't even want to spend money on a wedding or anything like that. So I don't I don't know if I'm gonna find somebody who feels the same way. So
4: it's kind of hard. Yeah, that I I was only thinking about when I asked you that question. I was mostly thinking about things like just the extra costs of the family members. But you bring up a a great, great point is that what if the person you marry is not frugal at all and in fact is more of a spendthrift and wants to go out and and really paint the town? Uh, Erin, any thoughts on that?
0: I think there are ways in the beginning to see if a person you are potentially dating or if a person you, yeah, would like to date would potentially be going down that avenue. And then I think it's up to you to decide if that's workable or not.
4: Penny, when you met your husband, did you guys have similar income goals? Did you guys see in the same direction when it came to finances?
1: Oh, we saw in the same direction, but we were not headed to FI or anything. I mean, we were just happy like we were breaking even, we were spending everything we were making and that seemed great because we weren't in debt. So like we were living the dream. Financially, we come from two very different backgrounds. So like even the way our families approach money, even the way, um, we think about money now. Like my husband is my biggest supporter, but he would have rather pulled his own teeth out than sit in those meetings at FinCon. Like he was just so happy to come with my son (laughs) and and support me. But he was like, I was like, do you want to, do you want to pass? No, no, I'm not going to go in money meetings for three days. Um, so for us, you know, we, we are on different pages in terms of how we view money, but I think we're on the same page in terms of where we're headed with life. So that's been our workaround. Um, you know, I listen to people say like, Oh, I could never date somebody if they didn't use coupons or, and I'm like, uh, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a deal breaker. You know um, I think if you're, if you have the same vision for where you're headed, there are some hurdles, but I think, you know, there's a benefit to not being, I, Identical too with with how you spend your money. I think you know he's he's my counterweight and he's my balance a lot of times. Otherwise, we'd be eating peanut butter and jelly for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, <laughs> if it wasn't for him,
4: Peter. Hearing that, I'm wondering kind of the same question. Did you and your wife have similar financial goals when you met? And I guess I would add a second question. Did your f- income goals change when you had children? We actually met when we were in medical school.
2: So it kind of helped. We were both, you know, eating ramen together, living that kind of lifestyle together. And uh, we, um, having gone through that, you know, we, we knew that we could live that kind of lifestyle. And trust me, it's not that we have. We've definitely fallen into a little bit of the temptation of lifestyle inflation when you start making that money. But I think both of us were pretty reasonable when we both started because we, we, we did remember where we were only a few years before. Um, and it really helped us kind of decide how we were going to live and where we wanted to go. Uh, definitely things did change when we had children. A lot of considerations that honestly, when we had children, I wasn't even thinking about this whole journey to FI and that sort of thing. So it was kind of new to us and we're still kind of adjusting as we go. I mean, there's always the challenge here. Of what kind of education we're going to pay for, you know, public versus private, um, you know, what kind of like, you know, college funds to set up. Uh, these kind of things. And so even the area we live in, again, it's because we chose it again and we live here is because of our children. And so definitely people, I think even us, we underestimated kind of what the cost of, of having children and kind of accounting for them um, might be.
5: So I have a question around that. Um, I didn't realize that, but was, was having children the trigger
2: for you to dig into this five journey Uh, from a time perspective? Definitely. I think I wanted to reach that financial independence so I could have a little bit more options in terms of how much I worked. That's really what it was. Uh, I work just because of my job and the way it is. I work a lot of nights and I work a lot of weekends. I think when I totaled it up, it was almost 70% of my time was in terms of working was a night or weekend hour, weekend Mm -hmm. hours. That's a lot. So, and those are good times with, I mean, that's, that's family time. And so seeing that I, I, having the children, seeing, you know, wanting to spend more time with them, wanting to, you know, just be there on the weekends, have fun with them. That's really pushed me along this journey, definitely.
4: Three of the four of us in this group, or in the four of you panelists, live in high cost of living areas. So I'm just going to throw it out to each one of you. Have any of you thought about moving to ease the income pressure? I'll start with Aaron
0: All the time. (laughs) I love DC as a city, um, but And at some point in the next few years, I could definitely see myself moving out of D.C. All
4: right. Penny?
1: Not for a second. Um, I mean, every Chicago winter, I want to take a vacation, but my roots are here, you know, and, and my family, both sides and my husband, like we're just born and bred and, you know, 30 minutes outside of Chicago proper is like the farthest our family's ever gone. So no, for a lot of reasons. But then also with the kiddo, we get we get help from both sides of our family. And, you know, we do pay, but, but paying family to watch a kiddo and then doing part-time daycare is very different than full-time daycare out here would take a huge bite out of even my Like my big teacher salary this year is so great, but, but daycare would take a huge slice of that. You know, we were pricing it out full time is like between 1500 and $2,000 a month, which is yikes. So yeah, we're, we're outside of Chicago for a lot of reasons.
2: Peter, definitely not. I mean, not in the sense that we have, we have not even considered moving anywhere else. Uh, We, we love it here. My wife's family's here. My family's here now, I kind of move them over here. And so we we have a great community of friends in this area. And so we can't imagine living life anywhere else without this community. I mean, what's the point to us to have that time, uh, that flexibility if we're not with the people we love. So we honestly have not even entertained the idea of moving anywhere else.
5: Yeah, we're all jealous. We can see we can all see each other on this recording. And you're the only one that has any sunshine still left because you're (laughs) in the East coast. And we know how warm it is right right now. And we're all facing winters coming at us. So yeah. Uh, Jerry, have you considered moving to a more expensive place? Or is Baton Rouge home for you?
3: uh baton rouge is like home because my family's here but i've actually considered like moving to like a high cost so i could like make more money more so, income uh, potential yeah more income yeah. like i started like moving like, like close like as houston or austin or like atlanta more mm-hmm. of those places right there so I more opportunities than uh than baton rouge
5: <laughs> yeah i've somehow gotten on this kick where i'm, I'm fantasizing about um, becoming an expat in some Central American country and I for some reason I get this thing where I'll get on YouTube channels and I just watch <laughs> these people that have done this and I'm like oh that's really and, and those street tacos look so good. <laughs> but I just I had the same issue that you guys have is I have family here. And even this weekend my father in law was like you're not moving anywhere. You're you're <laughs> you have family right here. And then forget about us, your kids are gonna have kids and you're not gonna move. I think he's right. Doc, have you ever talked about talk about moving? You're you're in a high income area too. Yes yeah, high cost so- living area.
4: We have definitely considered it. As you guys have mentioned, we have both sets of parents in town. Um, So it is a huge draw for our kids to know their grandparents. We actually love Chicago. We do not love the Chicago winters. So right now, our best plan for that is to take lots of warm vacations in the middle of the winter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once and now the kids are kind of established. My kids are 11 and 14. It's kind of hard to yank them out of school and say, we're going to move somewhere else. But I would not be surprised if my wife and I live a good portion of the winter, at least somewhere else after the kids are in college. Uh, I definitely see that as part of our glide path. uh, And I see us, you know, we'll probably always have some type of residence, maybe small in the Chicagoland area, but that we will spend a lot of time either traveling Europe or somewhere warm.
5: Okay. So the last question to all you guys is... uh, what uh, the whole point of this, we kind of meandered a little bit and we had a great conversation, but must you have a high income to become financially independent?
0: My answer is no. Um, I will get there eventually. It's going to take a very long time. Um, I think if you don't have a high income, you have to be more willing to try different things
1: um, and do things that aren't, you know, your standard nine to five job and that's it. Penny. I would say, income obviously makes it, uh, not easier, but faster, a higher income makes it faster, but it's certainly possible. And I think just because you don't have a high income in the moment doesn't mean you won't ever have a high income as well. Um, and I think when I see people getting discouraged, like that, you know, um, everything seems like it has to happen so fast and overnight. And, and this is a long, a long game and you, you've got to, you know, you've really Gotta think five, ten, fifteen years, um, and your situation now it could be a springboard into something much different. Um, you could have a lot more income, you could have a lot less income. So I think, um, no, definitely, I think it it could speed the process up, but it's definitely possible.
2: Peter, yeah, I think having a high income can definitely be a, you know accelerator for someone who's really going after this. But on the flip side, I want to let people know that having a high income doesn't necessarily Uh, I mean, it's going to be easier by any other means. Uh, Otherwise, you'd see all physicians, actors or musicians or athletes, all financially independent. We know how that story goes. And even amongst my physician colleagues, I, I, I don't know a lot. I know very, very, very few that are actually financially independent. And that has a lot to do with education, with your expenses, where you live. So I do think it can help accelerate things if you have the right mindset and the right plan. How about you, Jerry?
3: I don't think you necessarily have to have a high income. Like uh, like Peter said, like you have, still have to be disciplined to spend uh, less than you earn. Like if you have like a high income, you could like blow all your money on like frivolous <laughs> things, and you still be broke or whatever. So, <laughs> but I think if you're on a lower income scale, you can like use certain tactics, like uh, getting a roommate or whatever, and, or moving to a, a low, lower cost of living environment. There's certain ways that you can. Certain maneuvers, tactics you can use to um, to still like pursue five, like like uh, Penny said, you can still grow your income. You know, it, important thing is never like give up and keep keep on attacking and, and focusing on your talent stacking, and you can still grow your income. So you just want to like have belief in yourself and grow, believe in you can grow your income eventually.
5: I said, that's my last question, but I feel like my life is just a series of questions. Every time you say something, something I come to mind is something else. What are you going to do when you do reach
2: five? Do you continue to work or do you do something else? Does your life change? Peter? You know, I kind of where, I, where I want to be. <laughs> so my life doesn't change too much except for uh, I'm still, I practice this thing called, you know, gradual retirement, not, mm-hmm. um, you know, dropping off. And as the income comes in from somewhere else, I replace kind of like my, my doctor time in places where I don't want to work. I mean, for that means, you know, nights and weekends in particular. So the only thing that changes is um, I'm, I'm just, working less nights and weekends. But otherwise, I'm still doing the job I love.
5: How about you, Aaron? I, I think a uh, while ago, I heard you you laugh really loud at one of these uh, comments. And it made me think that really, you wanted to take that $500,000 income and just go paint the town red and go to money meetings all the time. Is that right?
0: Yes, obviously.
4: <laughs> what are you going to do once you hit FI?
0: Um, so when I first found out about this, um, it was super attractive because I was like, I'm pretty sure all the things I'm interested in in life don't pay a lot. Like I want to volunteer a lot or work at a library or help lead a troop of Girl Scouts and travel, um, all kinds of things. So no, I don't, as tempting as it is right now that I'm working to say that I'm just going to sit on the couch and read all day, like that would get super boring uh, mm. very quickly. So I, it'll give me freedom to work things that I want to do, not for the income.
5: Absolutely. And and Jerry, she just threw you a a softball there saying that you're working in a library isn't a high income. Are you going to take that from her?
3: Uh, I actually (laughs) agree. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with her. Uh, When I hit five, um, I actually want to do like some of the things that I'm doing now. Like I like love to read. I love to like find out ways to like have a positive impact on the community. Like here we just had like a, um, a, a place in a coffee shop opened up in a low income environment and where like people can go and talk to each other and have meetings and they actually have financial workshops. So I would like to participate more in those type of things. Like a, like I don't have to like do all this side hustling and be at work all the time. I can actually do things I love.
5: So you want to retire to go to
3: more money meetings. <laughs> <laughs>
5: like Penny, you're never going to retire, right?
1: No, I hope not. Um, you'll have to take me kicking and screaming out of the classroom. So um, I what I'm hoping for, the closer we get to FI, is that we have more wiggle room in terms of what we can do for other people. I've blogged about this before, but there's a literacy initiative in Mexico that we fell in love with. Um, it, was organized by expats in the sense that they helped set it up and and bring in funding. But it's run by all local people because they know their community needs best. And that just speaks to my heart on so many levels And, and not just doing that kind of work abroad, but there's just such a need for literacy initiatives stateside. And I just, I see... Um, you know, I'm, I'm able to be more generous and do more for my students now too, as I grow my own income. And I just, um, I love that. Like for me, that's, that's another part, that's another carrot that I'm working towards. And, and so I guess I'm just, I'm hoping to do more of that as I know that, you know, my family's provided for them. I'm hoping to be able to do more for other people.
5: Yeah, it's a lot easier to be charitable when you're profitable, right? So that you have extra income to actually share it, right? I love that. So this is a a great I think summary of of the conversation so far. I'll give each of you a chance to promote anything that you're working on and where can we find you?
2: Peter. Yeah, I'm I'm working on my, I'm continually trying to work on my blog. It's called Passive Income MD. We talk about financial freedom through passive income. We talk about multiple streams of income as well. I mean, it's for the physician or high net worth per individual trying to ultimately carve out more time for themselves to do the things they love.
3: All right, Jerry, where can we find you? Hey, you can find me at uh, peerlessmoneymentor.com or you can find me on um, Twitter at peerless money. I'm pretty active there.
5: Is there anything, any projects you're working on you want, you want to share?
3: I'm um, trying to work on like a series um, for like people who grew up in a low income uh, environment. And try to tell their stories like on my blog and try to like, uh, cause I wrote about one that got featured on Rockstar uh, Finance recently of my experience growing up in the ghetto or whatever. So I, I would like for more people, some people reached out and DMed me and it was like, wow, now you kind of inspired me to tell, talk more about my story on my blog. And it was pretty cool.
5: I've seen that. It was fantastic. So definitely check that out. It's a very telling story. Yeah. Aaron, how about you? Uh, where can we find you out on the internet?
0: I am for reachingforfi.com, reaching for Fi on both Twitter and Instagram. As for things I'm working on, I mean, I got back from FinCon and was like, man, I should probably write a post or two. It's been a while. Um, <laughs> so not working on anything special, just more of telling my story, hoping to uh, convince others and myself um, that this is possible on a low income.
5: Wonderful, I thoroughly enjoy your blog. Penny, what, where can we find you?
1: Yeah, I'm over at uh, shepicksuppennies.com is my blog and just picks up pennies, no she on Twitter. And I'm there far too, too often. On my own blog, you know, I'm working on myself. I'm such a work in progress, but the growing the income side of things, you know, I think I have the frugality stuff down pat. But now on my blog, I have a money win series because I'm trying to help other people celebrate small money wins, medium, big money wins, uh, the stuff that doesn't get talked about very often. So the, the little platform that I have, I'm trying to leverage that for other people and it's, um, so enjoyable for me. So that's, that's the project that I've got going on right now and anybody it's open to anybody and everybody. So I'd love for people to check it out.
4: I uh, just wanted to thank all of our panelists, Aaron, Peter, Jerry, and Penny. You guys are some of our favorite bloggers, and that's why we wanted to have you on.
5: Yeah, thank you, each of you, for coming out and sharing your story, having a good conversation. And I hope that everybody who's listening to this gets a uh, some sort of kind of inspiration, finds some sort of thread that they can pull on in each of your, y'all's stories. It does make a huge difference in people's lives, and I, I think a lot of you probably already know that, but it's really nice to hear it from other people. I appreciate you coming out tonight.
4: So, Paul, that was a great episode. You know, there are so many different takeaways I had from it. One thing that keeps on coming back over and over again in these discussions is the gap. Ultimately, it's not just your income, but it's also what you spend. And I felt like we had some good examples of people who manipulated that gap in different ways. So we had passive income MD who was willing to really push up on the income side. Um, where you had someone like peerless or Aaron who was willing to be frugal and minimize in other ways so that they could still maintain a gap that would support their goals. Is that, is that a wording that you've seen before in the financial independence community where we talk about the gap that way?
5: Yeah, yeah the gap. I have heard that before that it's all about the gap. It's the savings rate is, is kind of the, the key. But I like the different examples of how people go about creating the gap and how when you have a higher income, it's a little bit easier to, at least this is my take on it, it's a little bit easier to create the gap because anybody who wants to can lower and reduce their, their costs. But many people are are bounded at a fairly low level by their income, whereas when you have a higher income, you're not as bounded as high. Um, but it's when you know you have access to the money, it's really hard to not get into the, the trap of it's a slippery slope. And then when you think you'll just get you will add this little luxury and you add this little luxury. But anybody in our community who is thinking about the savings rate of between random example, 30 and 50 or 60 percent, they're winning on Every angle you can think about, and it's more about the optimization of the gap. And if they're going to retire in twelve years or seventeen years or whatever their numbers are, the net result of that is that they're living a more enriched life by actually spending less money. That's the that's the takeaway that I often get from any of these conversations that talks about the pros and cons. I don't really like the argument over what's better, but I like the optimization of living your life and spending your money according to your values.
4: Yeah, I was actually surprised that both Aaron and Peerless even talked a little bit about over frugality. I mean, yeah. you can go too far. So even when you're being mindful, even when you're you know maximizing income, there's always that risk that you'll take frugality too far. And almost everyone mentioned in the podcast that that you've got to enjoy life. You've got to find what gives you value. And at some point it can't all be about financial independence.
5: And that's a common theme I think you've heard from from other folks as well. And so I think for, as a takeaway for, for me is, or for and for the listeners is, just to ask yourself that, your, your own question, are, are you always living and spending your life energy the the way you want to? Because it just doesn't make sense to put off happiness and fulfillment for 5, 10, 15 years, only then to then live a life. And that's the old style retirement model. And the new style retirement model, uh, it might be earlier. That's That's kind of cool if it's earlier, but it's living the life now, enjoying the process, being smart with your money. That seems to be it's hard. There's no words I have for it that early retirement just doesn't quite capture. <laughs> but I haven't come up with a, new, a cool acronym to, to describe that. But if somebody did, I think they'd have a good idea.
4: Yeah. I mean, even Penny drove that home that no matter when she reaches financial independence, she probably won't stop working. So, you know, she cares about income. She cares enough to double her income, but ultimately not enough to leave teaching the thing she loves to go do something else.
5: Yeah. She has her life lined up exactly the way she wants it because she's being able to do what she loves and she gets paid for. It. And if they stopped or if she, once she reached financial independence, she wouldn't do a lot differently. And it sounds like that's uh, the same place that Peter is. He just didn't um, feel like he would get out of medicine. And what, and what was smart about about his situation is he's able to dial it back. And so he's able to continue. He, he gets to uh, take on what he likes the most about his job, and then replace it with other sources of of passive investments. Fantastic.
4: Yeah, so it sounds like almost in summation, you know, you have your income, you have your spending or frugality, and then you have the cost of living of the place you live. And you can toggle all three of those to try to reach financial independence, or at least financial security. But ultimately, it also only matters as much as that you're being authentic and doing things that have value and meaning for you uh, and kind of living your best life. And I think that's a real take home, take home from, the, from the conversation.
5: Yeah. What I liked about the question of what they would move, um, the answer from, I think everybody was that they don't, they don't want to, they may not live in the ideal place, but they're around the ideal people. They're around the people they love, at least in their current circumstances would change, would give them a reason to move away from their family. It's about
4: about the people. I I can't say any better than that.
5: Yeah. I really liked this conversation because it was all about the people and I had only met one of these people in person or the panelists prior to the interview. And and it was Erin and I met her at FinCon and at Camp Fi earlier this year. She has this great laugh. I could just hear her laugh all day and she just has this fun aura about her and Penny has a presence about her. That's the first time I'd met her and I was able to see her over a video chat. And did you notice how, how relaxing it was to be around her? I, I wish I could have have had her for one of my teachers growing up because it just I just think it'd be an environment where you'd really want to learn. And Peter also has an especially calming way about him. He is a really great voice for, for radio. So if he ever does do a podcast, I think he'll do, do very well. And I especially liked... Jerry's story. It was so inspiring. And his, the way he writes is captures you in a way that it just kind of sucks you in. And I thought it was especially interesting. He was the only one that said, yeah, I'll take the job. I would have to suck it up because he wanted to be able to find a way to break free. And so I really admire that about him is that he's willing to do what it's going to, what it takes to get himself into a place of financial security.
4: Yeah, they they all had really unique voices. And I think that gets behind why we wanted to bring them together in a group, because I just feel like they each added their own little nuance to the conversation. It's all about the people.
2: It was the most yeah. organized that was great. Panel discussion I, I think I've ever been a part of.
5: And today, mm, not, not what I just want to say.
0: Wait, hang on. Sorry, can you repeat the question? Because I just forgot it. It was, the it was profound, I was but I don't
5: remember what it was. <laughs> can
4: Excellent. you hear me? Good, yeah, we, we, we can, can hear you. Perfect. Let's do a quick mic check, Penny. Hi. Hello. Penny's camera is facing the ceiling. Just laying on the
2: ground. Um, I. Uh, I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> 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 it's my job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
5: He'd mess up the same thing like five times in a row and finally get that right. And then he'd mess up the
4: next thing. (laughs) Paul was so patient.
0: For a Sorry, can we say things like that on here? Family
4: show, Aaron.
0: Perfect.
4: (laughs) As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast.